All right. Welcome to another episode of Survival Mode. And I have a very special guest here today. And um, she, I had met her through uh, some of the groups that I'm in and helping support brain tumor. And um, she, her and I have been connecting back and forth and we spoke on the phone and I love just her general spirit and how she's been living her life and helping others and just being out there. And I want to introduce Brenda. Brenda, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Todd. It's great to be here. Yeah, thank you so much. So tell us a little bit about you know, you had brought it to my attention. I didn't know, and I should have known it's brain injury week. Um, but tell, tell the, the audience and tell me uh, a little bit about your story, just so people could kind of get up to speed on your journey. And uh, we'll go from there. How's that? Okay. Well, actually, I live with two journeys. I was diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis or RA at the age of 31. Wow. And um, I was, you know, living alone, uh, had a full time job. And it's just like my, you know, everything just stopped uh, dead in my tracks. It's like, you know, what am I going to do here? You know, my, uh, uh, excuse me, my um, seeing other people living with rheumatoid arthritis, all you saw was they're in a wheelchair, they become disabled. And I figured it wouldn't be long until that was gonna happen to me. So I had a really hard time um, at the beginning. Uh, it was very difficult. Um, I leaned on my mom a lot. Um, she was living a hundred miles away from me at the time, but she's always been my greatest supporter and um, I did lose her. Um, so let me ask you a question. You're 30. How old were you? 30? I was 31 when I was diagnosed. 31. What kind of things were going on? You know, 31, I was, I don't even think I got my act together at 31, right? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so what was going on in your life that kind of led to this diagnosis that you had? Well, actually, um, I was dealing with something back three years prior. Okay. I had been to the Mayo Clinic and uh, I had terrible chest wall pain. They couldn't figure out what was going on, but they did say that I did have degenerative arthritis of my lower spine, which mm -hmm. actually is osteoarthritis. And so, this is three years prior. So I'm going to say you're 28 years old. And, you know, at 28, we're just like, we're still in the kind of prime of our lives, right? And so you were just kind of living life and all of a sudden you just had some back pain a lot or tell me what kind of what's... Well, it, it was chest wall pain. Chest wall pain. Yeah, okay. chest wall pain. It actually ended up being costochondritis. Yeah. I actually ended up having a surgery done by a heart surgeon who removed the cartilages and oh my God. thought 
that was going to take care of the problem. But three years later, I started having symptoms. You know, um, rheumatoid arthritis generally starts with the smaller joints being affected. So my ankles and my <clears throat> fingers and my wrists were involved and mm -hmm. was having a lot of difficulty with that. Mm. Wow. Okay. So what kind of led them? Cause you know, it's kind of strange, odd, right? Or it's not common for somebody at 31 years old to get diagnosed with uh, rheumatoid arthritis, right? Is that kind of a common age or is well, it usually later? That's kind of not true. Oh, okay. Um, anyone can get diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis, even children. Mm. Children arthritis. And that wow. was something that I was aware of. And so, um, you know, my age was not really a surprise because mm -hmm. everybody thinks it's an old person's disease. Right. But it, it's, it's anyone. It, it can be babies. Right. Okay. So you get this diagnosis at, you were diagnosed at 31, right? Correct. And so what kind of happened? What was kind of, okay, you get the diagnosis now. Now, what are you thinking? Like, what do you, what's going through your head and what, what kinds of things are you thinking about? Virtually when I came out of the doctor's office that day, my life is over. That's yeah. what you were thinking. It's not going to be long. I'm going to be on disability. I'm not going to be able to work. You know, yeah, it was, it was just a really dark cloud. I mean, I remember the day as if it was yesterday. It was on a Wednesday. I remember it so vividly. And truth be told, my rheumatologist didn't really come right out and say I had RA. He said, this is just going to take us longer than we thought. But when I walked out of the room, the nurse handed me the pamphlet. I had my answer. Ah, uh, so the nurse, they didn't really come out and say, hey, this is what you have. No. Okay. Okay. Not, not the words. Gotcha. So they hand you the pamphlet, the nurse hands you the pamphlet. You're thinking like, this is it. I'm going to go on this, you know, like this is like you thought your life was over. So what, what did you do? You know? Well, of course, there was no internet at the time. So my only course of uh, research was the library. I went and I checked out VHSs. I mean, I'm really dating myself here. I could relate. I remember them. <laughs> so I, I wanted to know how people handled, you know, doing things around their home or whatever. And I mean, there just wasn't much out there. My only resource tangibly was the Arthritis Today magazine, which is no longer in publication. But it was at that time, I, I work in a medical clinic and we just happened to have those lying around. And so I grabbed it and took it home. And I thought, well, okay. But it was all stories about old people, you know? There wasn't people like me. So it was, it was really discouraging. I thought, you know, what's out there? 
So what were your symptoms like as you started to progress, as you started to research this, like what kinds of things did this do in your life that the, the RA do, for, you know, do well, to you? Um, my knee was bothering me, which we probably know now that probably is the osteo as well, but mm -hmm. it was so swollen. Um, the rheumatologist wanted to drain it, but I didn't allow him to do that. I was in just so much pain that moving, and still to this day, moving is the best thing for it. Um, I had what's called a trigger finger in my pinky. It would actually bend down, and I'd have to take my other finger to bend it back. And um, I have deformity in my fingers, which unfortunately before I found help, you know, my um, current medication, the damage has been done. That's irreparable. Mm -hmm. But um, I went through that about 10 years um, trying to find something out there. Um, there were no biologics, um, the class of medication that I take now. There were mm -hmm. no biologics out there. My only form was a um, drug that is used for chemotherapy, but in much lower doses. So I just said that I took a chemo drug. I never said I was taking chemotherapy because I certainly wasn't. Mm. Uh, it was like pills or we tried inject injections, but I got had terrible side effects from it that after four and a half years, I could no longer tolerate it. And I actually weaned myself off of it. I don't oh. recommend that you do that. But I told my doctor, my um, primary care physician, three months later, that what I had done. And I'm just going to give a point of reference to I stopped going to my rheumatologist because he was just so, his attitude was, I'm just going to get worse. Our visit after I was diagnosed was, why don't you go on disability and let your husband take care of you? I wasn't even married. I said, I am the sole breadwinner. And I said, I will work until I can no longer work. Mm. As we said, I was diagnosed at 31. I turned 62 this year. And wow. in May will be 31 years that I have lived with this disease. I like to say, <laughs> there you go, RA. And, and you, and you know, your, your fear or, you know, you, when your first reaction was that you weren't going to be able, like life was over, you weren't going to be able to work, but you just kind of, you said, that's, I'm going to do this. Right. That's what you said. Right. Not in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> in the beginning, I it, it took a while for the acceptance to come. It took years. Did it? It took years. And, you know, I never had anybody around here who I could talk about it with. I mean, I went into counseling for a little bit. And um, most of it was writing things down. And... Um, it's funny how years later with my second challenge being 
becoming a brain tumor survivor, that's when the journaling really became a daily process and practice in my life. So, you know, I came twofold on that. You came twofold. So you really, you got some help, you know, you started talking and you started to write, you started to journal. Yes. But so I didn't stick with it. <laughs> You know, you're, it's funny. A lot of people talk about journaling and, and I've done it, but like you, you know, I've been on and off, you know, it's, I haven't stuck with it either at times for sure. You know what I mean? So tell me, so you're going through this RA, right? You know, this is part of your world. You're learning to live, you're learning to cope with it. Um, it took you a little bit. Right. So tell me kind of the progression of events, like what's going on, like forward. You mentioned that you had a brain, you know, that your second challenge lead me up to the second challenge. Okay. Well, I had had a head injury a couple of years before I was actually diagnosed with my brain tumor. I had leaned into the fridge and mm -hmm. you, know, you don't think you see that light there. And I got out a little bit too fast and um, I hit my head, but I was alone. I didn't get knocked out. I didn't know enough that you should really get those things checked out. I mean, now I hear stories from people and I say, did you go and, and, and get a, you know, at least go to the emergency room and find out if you had a concussion? Well, yeah, I mean, we know good and well, that's what you had because any head injury you know, any concussion is a head injury. That's something I want to bring out for National Brain Injury Awareness Month. So let me ask you, when you hit your head, what around what year was that? I would say basically probably it was around 2005, 2006, because my father was still alive and okay. he passed away in 2007 a year before my brain tumor, he had Alzheimer's. Okay. The reason I asked it about the time was when I was in high school and this was in the eighties, right? Mm -hmm. I used to ski a lot, you know, and, and um, we never wore helmets anywhere. Now they wear helmets skiing. They wear helmets on bicycles, right? And I, we used to do all these tricks and stuff at this local ski place. And I took a bad wipeout. Literally, I hit my head and I got knocked out. And I felt like I'd lost my vision for a little bit. I came to my buddy's like, what's up? And I dislocated my shoulder. But do you think they ever ran a scan when I went? Because I had to go to the ER. They never ran a scan. They don't talk about head injuries back in the day. Now it's like this big focus. And I'm sure I had a pretty significant head injury. You know what I mean? So I could, I could relate to that, you know? So you hit your head in, on the fridge, right? Was that, it must've been pretty significant for you to remember that. Cause I've hit my head on the fridge too, a bunch of times. Well, inside, yeah. 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 My appliances seem to get me in trouble because <laughs> I had another head injury after my brain tumor. Oh, okay. So you have this head injury, right? Mm -hmm. Then what? So tell me a little bit more about what, what happened for you. Well, it got better over time. So I didn't do much about it. But then 
I started having like it felt like something was moving around in your head yeah um you know just kind of a sensation Mm -hmm. but not having any idea that you know I had been living with a brain tumor for they say at least 20 years and of course they say that there's no connection to the head injury but it's just that I I was getting such severe head pain. I was dealing with high blood pressure and we weren't able to find the right medication. You know, every time I'd look up, you know, I would start feeling sick. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know what was going on. I was getting lots of nosebleeds, which I found out later could actually tip off that I had a brain tumor. Mm. But that only made sense after I saw my MRI report after I had had my craniotomy and that it said my sinuses were involved. And that made a lot of sense. And also that it mimicked AMS, which that's very common with the RA because they're the same gene pool. So So let me ask ask you a question. So how did you find out you had a brain tumor. Well, there again, I wasn't actually told that I did. But anyway, I start, the, the head pain just got more persistent. And I went to my PCP and I asked him, can I have a CT? Because I work at the clinic. And I thought, we got to start somewhere. And so I talked to the nurse and she told me twice on the conversation if we find nothing, we are done. Okay. And I have to say, it still makes me angry to this day. That I mean, I've forgiven him, but you don't forget. Because they did find something. But of course, they couldn't tell me then, you know, I mean, the, the technician couldn't tell me. But mm-hmm. she told me afterwards that they had seen something but anyway I got a call the next day saying oh um we need to do an MRI now because they found a mass Mm. I thought oh not crazy there is something going on but um so they scheduled the MRI that week of course one of the questions they asked you are you claustrophobic I really didn't know but six minutes in I knew I was pushing that panic button that I got to get out of here. The noise didn't bother me. The enclosure, mm-hmm. it just, and even to this day after the surgery, if there's one person around me, I'm okay. But if there's two, one of you's got to go. It's mm-hmm. just, I just feel that enclosure. I, I don't like it. Mm-hmm. And so they scheduled an MRI for the next week and put me under sedation. They said they do that two, three times a week. They're trying to make me feel better. And the guy goes, I promise you, the anesthesiologist told me, I promise you, Brenda, you will be out before we put you in that tube. Because I was in the same room and I was looking at the tube and I thought, oh boy. (laughs) I'm used to the, I'm used to the tube. Like there's been some times I was like, oh, this is like bothering me, but I get it. I do. It's, you know, 
they say they have all these open MRIs, but I think the ones for your brains, you can't, they, you can't do those ones. I don't know. Cause I have to go into that long tube yeah. and we don't have any open ones around here. So. <laughs> no, they have them, but they, I'm apparently I don't qualify for it. Cause they got to get, and they put, I don't know if they do this where you were, but do they put that kind of cage over your head? Is did they do that? Like it, it's like a, not that I'm aware of. <laughs> and and when I was awake for the one, no, the the only thing they tried was putting a towel over my eyes, but that didn't do anything. Gotcha, gotcha. So you you get you get the MRI right, and it was right. a challenge. And the same evening, believe it or not, I had my diagnosis, but. I was told I had a meningioma. Nobody said it was a brain tumor. You right. Know, said a mass, a lesion, a lesion or, or meningioma. No one ever mentioned the word brain tumor. Here we go again, not being told right out what I had, you know, like the RA. I was never told. And that seems to be a pattern. I don't understand why you don't tell your patient exactly what they have. I mean, communication and health in healthcare is is something that needs to improve. And I'm hoping by telling my story here that um, you know th that's something we can work on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of the people that I've interviewed, um, not necessarily were told. Not I wouldn't say that. I think I think there was a lot of miss misses in, in things. And I think that happens for sure. So what, so they said this, you potentially have a minute, you know, I'm an angioma, they're giving you this. So what's next? Like, what, what do you do? You know, um, see a neurosurgeon or neurologist, excuse me, see a neurologist. And if he feels that it's anything serious enough, then he would refer me to a neurosurgeon. Well, okay. unfortunately, I had seen this neurologist after my father had passed away, and he told me that day, because when I was having the head pain, he told me we could do a CT, but we probably won't find anything. Mm. And I thought, could you imagine if we had been dealing with this right after my father had passed away from Alzheimer's? Mm. I mean, my mom just lost someone she had cared for for over four years. He was mm -hmm. in a nursing home for less than two weeks. She took care of him all the other times. And what mm -hmm. if she would have had to deal with this? I believe in timing. And I think that it happened the next year was the way it was supposed to happen. Mm. Okay. So what are you thinking? Like what's like at that point, right? Your neurolog you meet with the neurologist and he did he recommend you see a neurosurgeon? It didn't look good at all. Mom and I looked at each other and he left the room and I said, This is not looking good. And then all of a sudden, somebody comes in and says, Would you like to see a neurosurgeon today? He's right around the corner. Well, yeah. <laughs> well, we'll go right there. Sure. So, so what's like, how are you feeling at this point? Like, you know, I know when I, when somebody told me I had a brain tumor, I was like, I felt like somebody just punched me in the gut. Like, oh my God, you know? Obviously, Todd, I was in shock. Yeah. I think we both were because, I mean, 
it, okay, this was a Thursday on the 4th of September, 2008. Yeah. And he said, we, you know, he showed me the contract uh, or, you know, what it looked like with and without contrast. To me, it kind of looked like a moon with a tail or, or a comet kind of because meningiomas, one of the striking characteristics is a tail. And it was the size of a golf ball, although we did not know at the time what the size was. So for me, it kind of looked like a comet with a tail. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, um, the only way we're going to know the pathology is if we go in and have it removed and look under a microscope. Would you like to have it removed? Uh, well, yeah. So that, like I said, that was Thursday, September 4th. And he said, well, I can do it September 8th on Monday. And I thought, yeah, let's do it, you know. But mm -hmm. I still didn't understand all the intricacies of what was involved because I talked to the nurse the next day as we were scheduling, and she mentioned the word craniotomy. And I, I started freaking out, and she said, well, how do you think they're going to remove it? I thought, <laughs> they're going to have to drill my head. I mean, reality was setting in now sure. at that point. But I still think I was kind of in shock because I went into my boss and, and he told me later, he said, you sounded like you were telling me you were going to the dentist. You were just so calm. I said, you know, like I said, I, I was in shock. I, yeah. I really didn't know what to expect. I really didn't start freaking out about it until the night before my mom and I had a very serious conversation. I think she was worried that there was a possibility I might not make it through. And I never really thought of that, you know, but she just wanted to make sure that I was ready if anything would happen. And it really wasn't until the next day when we meet with the anesthesiologist and he lists all the things. He said, you know, you could have a stroke, you could have a seizure, or you could die. And I thought, yeah, I mean, I know they got to tell you all that. I know. There's five, they told me there's 5% chance of coma, stroke, death. And I'm like, it's not like 0.5, it's 5%, you know? And so I was like, I hear you on that. I started looking at those numbers. I said, they're small, but they're not that small. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> so, but yeah. he, was, he was great. I mean, you know, he explained it all. And um, right before I was getting wheeled to the OR, um, my mom did something that wasn't typical in our family. I come from, you know, I'm, of German heritage. So, you know, we're kind of closed in that we're not big and, you know, the hugging and all that. But she did lean down and kiss me on the cheek before I went to the OR. And I just thought, whoa. I mean, can you imagine how she was feeling? And I thought, wow. oh man, this is serious. Yeah. You know, they took me in there and they started putting that oxygen thing over my mouth and I started panicking and pushed it I pushed it away and he said 
oh, you only have to breathe in the bottom part here. And he put his hand on my shoulder. I remember this so vividly. He says, we're going to take good care of you. And that was the last thing I remember until I woke up. And well, obviously I woke up and you're here to got it all. And I said, and the tail as well. And they said, yes. And then they started asking me the general questions like, you know, what day of the week it was, who the president was, just to make sure that, you know, I knew all of that. And I passed that with flying colors. And they said, well, we want to give you a little morphine. I thought, oh, I really don't want anything. I'm doing fine. And because they were going to feed me when I got back to my room because I was kind of hungry. And they were, they were going to give me oatmeal. And um, I love oatmeal, but I was so out of it. And I remember this. This is so funny. I mean, my mom was in the room. She's the only one who could attest that this really happened. But I was so out of it that my head would kind of bob toward the oatmeal. I mean, I was just so out of it. I don't think I even got any. I don't even think I ate any of it. I think I was just so out of it, you know. So that part I remember, you know, nobody would believe it unless I told them they were there, but yeah, so I was in the um, ICU for um, a day, day and a half. I had to walk to my next room. Okay. The <laughs> uh, bad time about my haircut because my um, incision is only about an inch. And so they, you know, I didn't know what was going to happen. I mean, I knew it was in the right frontal lobe, so I didn't know how much they'd have to shave. But basically what they did was they just um, opened the bone flap. And it was like they told me it was ready to come out. It kind of reminded me of that game operation. Yeah. Tweezers. And, um, yeah, it, it, they said it was, you know, readily ready to just come out they were able to get it and they did what they had to do were able to remove the or put the bone flap back on and uh they tried staples but they didn't work um so they ended up stitching so let me ask you a question so you 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 come out of the surgery you're pretty uneventful, you know, it's eventful, but it's uneventful. You didn't have any major, major issues for sure. So what next, you know, like, were there any residual effects from them? You know, cause I think what the right frontal has like personality and all that stuff there. Right now, were there any effects of this? On well, you? yes, but it, it took a while for it to actually come to the surface. So okay after um, I was getting in having my CT they removed the, the stitches and um, she was getting ready to draw me up in the IV I'm not a good customer with that they you know always have a problem drawing my blood or whatever and I started crying actually it was sobbing and she said I'm hurting you and I said no I said I don't know what's going on, but I just got this overwhelming. I just like, I made it. And I got through this. 
and now what's next? And um, I didn't know there was such a thing as frontal lobe syndrome. I went through these periods. I was at the store one day with my mom. This little kid got lost, couldn't find its mom and was crying. And I was just sobbing. I felt so bad for that kid. And I thought, that's empathy, you know? I mean, but boy, that was personified for me. I mean, it was just really coming on strong. And I had a lot of bouts where, you know, I would just cry. It was, it was a little like the first month after I was diagnosed with RA. I did a lot of that, but this was different. This was, I got to do something serious. And mm. now what am I going to do? And am I ever going to be okay? I mean, I knew that from that day on, my life would never be the same. Okay. But I had no idea what it all entailed until I got connected with other brain tumor survivors. And I explained my what was going on. And they said, that is frontal lobe syndrome. I'm going to be real honest here. I've not been clinically diagnosed, but with everything that was going on, uh, you know, being quick to anger, tears, and it's especially if someone is being wronged that I care about, it, it really hits me. Um, it can be I'm listening to a song or watching something on TV. You know, it just things are just. I guess I'm more sensitive to that. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, it's the first, my first year of being a brain tumor survivor was really, really rough. And I have to say that probably the person that got the brunt of it was my mom. And I'm not proud of that. But, you know, she was there. And, but it wasn't fair because she went through so much with my dad. But I think we really even became closer because of that um, happening. And over time, I got to the point where with the journaling, which again, I was highly suggested that I should do. And I was encouraged to even start a blog. Mm. What's a blog? <laughs> <laughs> I had no idea, you know, I. I was kind of reading them and I was involved in a group at the time, which has disbanded, but they had where you could kind of do your own thing. And so I, I one day I sat down, I did a blog. It was um, called Life After Brain Tumor. And um, I had to come up with a name for, for my blog, what I was gonna call it. And so it was Brenda's Brainstorm. Um, inspiration out of the blue because it kind of came to me in the shower on a Friday morning I thought Brenda's brainstorm hmm, kind of like that and it was so well received and I've been blogging ever since I do a blog I try to do one once a month and of course it's changed over time I now have added a storyteller I added um, Trevor in 2011. He actually, he's a golden retriever and he's not real, but he tells it in his own words, kind of with the doggy lingo and from his point of view. 
And that was something that came out too of um, becoming a brain tumor survivor was creativity. Um, it just kind of sparked one day, you know, coming up with different things. And, you know, sure, I have the frontal lobe syndrome, but I always try to look at the positive and I see that the creativity was definitely one of those positive things that came out of it. And I always tie this because, you know, with Trevor being a golden retriever and they use a Midas drill on me. And if you know anything about your nursery rhymes, King Midas and everything that he touched, you know, turned to gold. So I so, kind of use that analogy. So that's awesome. So you were encouraged to journal, right? So you take the journaling, you turn it into, you know, you blog, mm -hmm. and then you start to tell the stories through, through the, the, the golden retriever, right? And it just sparked this kind of creativity for you. Mm -hmm. So what would you say from your experience with all this, with the brain tumor, what was the biggest learning for you? The biggest learning lesson in all this for you? You're not alone. There are people out there just like you. I mean, it doesn't matter if it's brain cancer or, you know, if it's non-malignant, non-cancerous. I really dislike the word benign. And right. Benign's not fine, right? That's what they say. Correct. Rick Franzo. Yeah, Rick Franzo. If you don't know who Rick Franzo is, is he did, he was on my podcast. I'm not sure what number, but go back into the show um, and check out Rick. He's a super amazing guy. Um, yeah. So benign is not fine. Yeah. So you're not alone. So personally, what gifts do you feel the, the experiences you have had had given you aside from creativity um more empathy definitely and for myself you know that it's okay that i feel the way i do um you know i'm not i wasn't going crazy even though i felt like that there was something seriously wrong with me because i just didn't know and i know that some people have the opposite and have flat effects and don't feel anything. Mm. And for that, I am grateful. I, I am so grateful that I can feel, even though if it's really deep sometimes. I did a blog last year on deep feelings. And, you know, sometimes it's hard to deal with, but it is a blessing that, that you can feel that way. And I, I'm hoping that, you know, my blogging or telling my story is going to help somebody out there. Um, you know, I just say it over and over. You're not alone. There are people out there just like you. And um, you also know what is wrong with your body. You know, when something is not right. You know, I'm the one I asked for the CT. And because I knew something was wrong. I had no idea that it was a brain tumor, but you just know when something is not right and you have to follow your gut. And 
I know. You know, it's so funny, you know, in life, the proverbial, like, do I have a brain tumor? You know how people are like worried about that? Like, you know, but it's not out of the realm of possibility. Like I, you know, I, I would obviously never think in a million years that I would have gotten a brain tumor or that that was even in my cards based on my symptoms, you know, and at the time, well, I didn't know at the time, but out of nowhere, but you know, it's, you know, I shared the other day, I was with some people and I said, oh yeah, like, you know, I was diagnosed with a brain tumor about a year and a half ago. And I'm sort of like, what, really? You know, like it's this thing, you know, and it's, it is, you know, and, and, um, and I love the fact that you're, you're really in the groups and you're helping and you're, you're being there, you know, like, you know, you've reached out to me and, and you, you know, that's one of the things too, is I go into a couple of the groups that I'm in and, you know, people are posting when they're, you know, like, you know, I remember like they, it keeps it a little green for me. Like, Hey, you know, I was diagnosed last week. What's, you know, what's this? And I could so remember what I was going through. And I always try to be just reassuring and, you know, it, 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 it's definitely a hard situation. There's no question about it, you know, and, um, you know, but so tell me, tell me a little bit more. Now I'm going to like, kind of go back in time. Like you were back in the RA day, like, Oh my God, life's over. I'm not going to work. Like, what am I going to do? Like to this day, you're working, correct? Correct. Both so you didn't miss a beat, right? You were like, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm doing this, which I love. You just kind of, so tell me your mindset here. I want to hear a little bit more about this. Well, I'm definitely a fighter. <laughs> and not that not working is, is bad. Believe me, there's no, people, I, that was, that was the bad thing. I was afraid of that. Like, I'm like, Oh my God, what if something happens here in my surgery and I can't move or work or do anything? I had a legit fear, but I love that you're, you know, you, you just kind of fought it. Right. Right. That's awesome. That's awesome. So what was your, now, what, what was your mindset around your life, you know, and I think you, you mentioned to me that your mom had passed, right? When was this in your journey? She, she passed in 2011. And while she was dying, I made a promise to her that I would live my life. And her promise was that she would always live in my heart. So becoming an advocate and doing the things that I do are in her memory. And I, I try to think of that every day when I do something that I'm doing something that she would be proud of. And um, I saw an opportunity. Uh, there was this project through Creaky Joints, which I am an advocate with. Um, do you deal with RA in the workplace? And I thought, well, yeah, I certainly do. But I am shy by nature, and I didn't really know if I wanted to go through the steps of even contacting anybody. You know, I didn't know what I'd have to do. You know, all these things run through your head, and 
Well, one night I just decided to make a phone call and I talked to somebody there for half an hour, never even told them, you know, what my name was. The only thing they knew is that I was from North Dakota. And they said, well, we've been wanting to work with somebody from North Dakota. And he goes, are you Medicare age? And I said, no. And he said, well, that doesn't really matter. But he, you know, we talked and he said, I'll get you in touch with our project manager. And then over time, I, I met with him. And then they said, well, we're going to uh, have a conference call with the uh, president and co-founder. Well, I knew that was Seth Ginsburg because I had been reading their newsletter over the years that I was receiving. And um, so we set up a conference call and it wasn't much into the conversation. This was in 2012, it'll be 10 years next month. Uh, he said, we're gonna come to North Dakota. We're gonna work with you. And he said, you get to pick the date. And I thought, wow, this is cool because I'm gonna pick April 20th. And the reason I picked that date was that was my, the date that I had my first injection with my biologics. So we were able to set up meetings <clears throat> with our local representatives here um, centering around that whole day of my being on a biologic, I did a um, local television interview with NBC North Dakota News right here in my apartment. And I also did a interview with our local newspaper, the Bismarck Tribune. And I had um, four local meetings. And um, that day went so well that uh, the next year prior, there was um, something that was coming up at our legislature about the biologics uh, versus the biosimilars. And they asked me if I'd be interested in testifying at the state capitol. And so I said, absolutely. So they said, well, we'd like you to write your story. And so I was corresponding back and forth with this other advocate that came out. Um, he testified as well. He's type one diabetic. So that was perfect. And uh, cause you know, insulin is a biologic. And so we went and we testified and that was on March 13th of 2013. And we found out a couple of weeks later that that bill passed. Wow. And we were the first of six states in the nation where that passed, it has passed now pretty much in all 50. And um, so I've been um, an advocate with creaky joints um, still to this day, I'm currently involved in their patient council. And um, I was able to even share a little bit about my brain tumor uh, journey with them. I've done an article that tells about a book that um, we did through the Grief Diaries series called uh, Living with the Brain Injury. And I get to tell my story of, uh, you know, dealing with the frontal lobe syndrome and the different aspects and the creativity and all of that. And, you know, I can not say that they, they both overlap. 
I mean, one is without the other. Somebody said once that I was a brat. Uh, that was a brain tumor with a little RA in the middle. <laughs> so, and unfortunately, she lost her battle to brain cancer. But um, she was very, very supportive. And um, I think of her often. But uh, yeah, she sent me that card and, and had that. So. You know, you shared, and that's that's so awesome. You shared a little bit about you know, kind of the promise you made to your, your mom. And it, and it brought up something for me um, when, so I was diagnosed in September of 2020. So my mom passed away in her sleep in February of earlier that year. Um, this was the, I call it the year of COVID. <laughs> Because so, it was the year of COVID, right? We got, I think COVID hit us around March. So my mom passed February, March, and brain tumor later that September. And so I, my mom, you know, and people said, you know, this is the time you want your mom. And it was true, you know, and I didn't. But it was funny, relatively recently, I was sharing my story somewhere. And somebody said, it sounds like your mom tapped you on the shoulder about even getting the diagnosis, like, cause it was so incidental, like how it was fine. You know what I mean? Like I didn't have all these. And it, when you were sharing about your mom, it, it really, it, you know, I started to think about it, you know, and, it, and it's, it, it's powerful, you know, about what you were sharing about your mom. And I think, you know, as you were sharing it, it brought that up. And, and this is the first time I think I, I've ever shared about my mom you know, I didn't have my mom going through it. And I think, you know, you know how people say when you're sick, you want your mom, right? So, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I kind of, you know, it was one of those things I had to go inside on for sure. So, but I, I love your story. Um, and, you know, I, I want your link to your blog stuff and we'll put it in the show notes so people could, check out what you're doing you know what i mean so uh people could take a look at what you're writing and maybe it, it will be there and be helpful for other people would that would that would you be open to that absolutely awesome awesome so one final question so if you had to kind of say like kind of one thing to somebody that's going through a hard time you know you know, we were talking about brain tumors and RA or whatever, just even challenge kind of what, what would you say to somebody, you know, what kind of advice, you know, I'm not a huge advice for it, but it's just kind of words of wisdom. How's that? Allow yourself to emote, go through it. Um, you know, it, it takes time. Like I said, it took years of acceptance. And it took a brain tumor to finally accept living with the RA. Um, it was just funny how something just triggered in my brain. You know, like I told you on our conversation on the phone that, you know, I don't sweat the small stuff anymore. You know, it's so what if your order got messed up? You know, Sometimes I find that as an opportunity. I have my groceries delivered and I find sometimes the substitutions are better. 
<laughs> I love it. It's just weird how your brain just works that way. I mean, probably 20, 30 years ago, I wouldn't have thought like that at all. I would have just been like, how could you have done that? You know, messed up my order like that. <laughs> it's, you know, but it, it's, it's true. I mean, I find that sometimes, you know, you want something so bad. And if you just sometimes just give in and you're not going to get it, you're probably going to end up with something much better. And I also find that timing, timing is so important. You know, you just sometimes have to sit back, but it will, it will happen eventually. And it may happen when you don't even expect it to. And I just, I just look for the opportunities. I look for the open door. Um, you know, like you asking me to be on your podcast here. Um, you know, I've really enjoyed this. I, I thank you again for having me and being able to share my story and, you know, being an encouragement to somebody out there and, and writing for me is a healing bomb. If I'm having a bad day, you know, that's where my journal, I can, t I can write things in my journal and I don't have to worry about that. I'm going to make somebody upset because, you know, I wrote something in my journal. It's, it's, it's personal. So, yeah, I love what you said about, um, you know, and this was a lesson I had to learn. Um, and it took a brain tumor was about a moat. You know, I love that. Like, I think I spent so many years just grinding it out and pushing it down. And, and, and there were times that I emoted and, and that's part of, I think, you know, that's part of the healing process. And, and, um, I think that's super important for people to understand, you know, and to let it out. And, um, and I also like that you shared that you're, you know, you keep driving on, you know, and you're, you're, you know, you're working, you're, you're helping other people, you're, you're doing what you can. And, uh, and I, it's been an honor to have you on and, um, and we'll put your, your, your blog and your information in the show notes so that people could check out what you're doing. And, um, I know that you're in the, you're in the groups helping, helping people and, and being there. And, and, and I think it's just amazing. So, um, keep doing what you're doing and, um, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Awesome.